listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. The scripture this morning is the uh, familiar resurrection story from the Gospel of John. Now, there was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so, because it was the Jewish day of preparation and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken our Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and said to, Hebrew, said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not touch me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And thank you, Jim, for that reading. He is risen. I had to do it one more time. That was good. That was good. Um, So it's Easter Sunday, um, and one of the things... That can be a little tricky for churches on Easter Sunday, uh, logistically, is that there's a lot of visitors on Easter Sunday. We're never quite sure how many people to expect. So like planning for breakfast, you really want to make sure that you have enough. Um, last year, I remember we ran out of seats at breakfast. There was plenty of food, um, but we didn't have quite enough seats. So some people came in and getting food and then nowhere to sit, which was kind of embarrassing. That didn't happen today, though. So woohoo for a logistical win. Um, But another thing that is a little tricky logistically on Easter uh, is the sermon. 
because here at our church, we usually do teaching series that span over many weeks. And so uh, if you're new, if you're visiting here, it's really easy to get lost. Uh, For the regulars here at Brockport First Baptist, we just wrapped up a six-week series on the Song of Songs, uh, which is this collection of romantic love poetry, we'll say, uh, right smack in the middle of our Bibles. And it's pretty racy stuff, believe it or not. It's loaded with uh, innuendo and double entendres. I can't really talk about it because there's kids in here. Um, but, but take my word for it, for, for 2,600-year-old love poetry, it gets pretty steamy. Uh, but one of the things we've been doing in this series is we're trying to connect the dots a little bit. See, the Bible is a vast collection of writings, Uh, multiple books written on three different continents over the course of about 10 centuries in different languages. It's a pretty diverse collection. And yet, despite all that diversity, we find certain repeating themes and ideas across Scripture, and it's really helpful to kind of connect the dots and see how these things line up. For example, uh, Song of Songs, this poetry depicts the story of a man and a woman, two lovers in a garden. And if you're familiar with the Bible at all, especially if you know how the Bible starts, you might be aware that the very first story in the Bible, the story of Adam and Eve, is another story about a man and a woman in a garden. We see the connection here? Couple nods. Okay, you see it. Good. Awesome. Awesome. Following along. Um, But while... Oh, go back. Go back to that little, to the side-by-side. Perfect. But while Song of Songs is romantic love poetry, the Adam and Eve story is an absolute tragedy. Adam and Eve's story starts out so good. Um, These two people, these two lovers, exist in a state of total and complete harmony, perfection. They're in sync with each other. Uh, They're in sync with the earth. They're in sync within themselves. They're in sync with God. But they make one mistake, one act of rebellion, and the whole thing just crumbles. How many of us are familiar with the Adam and Eve story? How many of us, by show of hands, we've heard this one before? Okay, that's, that's most of you. Awesome. If, if not, that's fine. Just, just like smile and nod, and no one, no one will know. Um, but we have some familiarity. What the Adam and Eve story is getting at, the real point of this story, is it's trying to articulate the sense of brokenness and isolation that we all experience. That feeling of being alone, uh, abandoned, cut off. That sense of disconnection from ourselves, from other people, from the earth. All that pain, all that suffering, all that chaos. The Adam and Eve story takes all of that and it connects it to this fundamental break in our relationship with God. And for the last six weeks, we've been reading Song of Songs through this lens, trying to connect the dots. We've been talking about uh, the uh, experience of broken relationships, heartbreak, the importance of community and commitment, intimacy and love, how important all of that is for human beings to be whole. And on the theme of connecting the dots, I've got to point out that today's reading is yet another story about a guy and a gal in the garden. Now we can go to the next slide. Whoever wrote the Gospel of John was really into the book of Genesis. Total Genesis fanboy or girl. Uh, This author is making constant references back to that first story, that first book of the Bible. The book of Genesis starts out with a pretty famous line. 
right? What's the first line of the Bible? In the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How many of us know that line? That's, again, most of us. It's pretty famous. Um, I remember when I first started dating Aaron, uh, when I first started going out with my wife, gosh, 15 years ago, is it? It feels like a long time ago. Um, I remember the first time uh, I met Aaron's grandpa, Bart, who I guess is my grandpa-in-law, if that's a thing. Uh, the first time I met Bart, I was in seminary. I was in school for pastors. And, uh, and he was like, oh, a Bible man. Are you familiar with the baseball game in the Bible? And I, and I was like, no. And he goes, yeah, it all started in the beginning. This is the family I married into, you guys. Um, <laughs> It's a famous line, in the beginning. And back in Jesus' day, this line was even more famous. Back then, most, most Jewish kids growing up had to memorize uh, the, the book of Genesis. They could recite it word for word. So everyone knew that reference, in the beginning. John starts his gospel with the exact same phrase. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word... The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Spoiler alert, the, the Word he's talking about is Jesus. That's where that's all going. Um, but again, you can see it, right? Clear connection back to Genesis. Everyone would have caught that. John's original audience would have heard this, and they'd have been like, oh, in the beginning, he's referencing Genesis. And the references continue. All throughout John's gospel, we find all these parallels to the book of Genesis. We don't have time to like, point out all of them because there's an Easter egg hunt to get to. Um, but these references really come to a crescendo at the end of the book with the resurrection of Jesus. Again, a story about a guy and a gal in a garden. After Jesus dies, um, we get this line. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified... And in the garden, there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. We don't think much of this today, right? Like, we're kind of used to associating cemeteries and gardens. That's kind of our thing. Uh, most modern cemeteries are filled with grass and trees and flowers. It's, it's normal. Not so much back then. Most graves back then were in caves, either naturally occurring or something that had been like dug into the side of a mountain. So when John tells us that this tomb is in a garden, they would have noticed that. That would have stood out. It would been like, ooh, a garden, just like Eden. We tracking so far? Are we following this? Okay. And then we get this line. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark... Okay, this parallel is a little less obvious, but if you know the creation story from Genesis, it talks about um, God creating the world over the course of seven days. A little light should be going off in your head. What does God make on the first day? Lights. On the first day, God speaks into creation, into the darkness, and says, let there be light early on the first day of the week while it was still dark. We see the connection? Yes. I know I'm a lot more excited about this than you are, but we'll get there. We'll get there. <clears throat> um, it goes on. It goes on from there. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed. Mary Magdalene uh, was one of Jesus' female disciples. She was a student of Jesus. 
Um, we don't know a whole lot about her, unfortunately. Uh, she does not get as much airtime in the Gospels as Jesus' male disciples, which is a real bummer. Hashtag patriarchy, 100%. Um, but we do know some stuff about Mary Magdalene. The common story about Mary Magdalene is that she was a prostitute. Not true. Not true at all. Burst that bubble right now. Nowhere in the Bible or in any early Christian writings does it ever say Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. That is a story that was made up centuries later by men. So we can throw that one right in the trash. We do know, though, that Mary Magdalene was wealthy. She was pretty well off. Um, The Gospel of Luke includes her in a list of wealthy women who funded Jesus' ministry. So she was helping to bankroll Jesus and the disciples. When they would go to, to stay at an inn or somewhere to eat, she footed the bill. So clearly, this is someone who believes strongly in Jesus and his mission, his work, what he's about, so much so that she's paying for it, right? The Bible also tells us uh, that Jesus cast seven demons out of Mary without any uh, context or details or explanation, so do with that what you will. Um, But also, the other really important thing, detail we know about Mary Magdalene is that in every written account of the resurrection, every single one, it agrees that Mary Magdalene was the first person to encounter Jesus after he rose from the dead. Some Gospels say she was with other women at the tomb. Um, Some Gospels, like John, focus solely on her, but they all agree that she's the first one to find Jesus after he's raised from the dead, and then she goes off and tells all the male disciples who are hiding out in a room somewhere that Jesus is risen. So the next time someone tells you um, that women can't preach or hold positions of authority in the church, let them know that the first time the gospel was ever preached, it was by a woman named Mary. Girl power. Uh, Take that, patriarchy. Let's get some of these parallels up on the screen, though, actually, just to kind of see them between uh, Genesis and John. This next one is kind of interesting. We find Mary Magdalene outside this garden tomb, weeping, crying. She's crushed because her Lord has died. She was there to witness it right to the bitter end when all the other disciples, all the male disciples had fled. Mary Magdalene and a handful of Jesus' female students were there to the very end. She laid his body in the tomb. This is someone she believed in who she put her hope in, who she invested in. And all of that's been crushed. Then she goes to the tomb, she finds that it's open, and the body is gone. She assumes that the body's been stolen, which makes sense because generally people don't rise from the dead, right? So Mary is outside the tomb weeping. Now this isn't a clear connection to Genesis. This detail is never made in the Genesis story. But when I read the description of Mary weeping outside the tomb in this garden, I can't help but think of Eve. After it all falls apart and everything is broken, after the fall, a woman sitting in a garden weeping. Mary looks in the tomb and she sees two angels, two cherubim. Anyone remember Angels showing up anywhere in the Garden of Eden story? Are there ever two angels blocking the entrance? Yeah. Uh, If you're not familiar, at the very end of the Garden of Eden story, 
after Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, God stations two angels, two cherubim with a flaming sword right at the entrance so that Adam and Eve can never go back. Mary looks in the tomb and she sees two angels, but there's no sword. They're not guarding anything. They don't tell her to get lost. They don't say you don't belong here. These two angels are just hanging out where Jesus' body was laid. And they say, why are you crying? Why are you sad? It's okay. It's going to be okay. He is risen, right? The angels call Mary woman. Um, by the way, term of respect back then, it'd be like saying ma'am or milady today. They call her woman. Uh, no sense is that derogatory at all in context, but it's another reference to Genesis where Adam and Eve are called man and woman. That is their title in the story. Eve is the woman. So the woman, Mary in this case, comes out of the tomb and she sees a man. She sees Jesus, but she thinks he's the gardener. I mean, come on, come on, it's so good. Um, What was Adam's job in the garden? Gardener, yes, Adam is the OG. He's the original gardener, right? She, see, she sees Jesus and she thinks he's the gardener. These parallels are right there if you, if you look for them. She thinks he's the gardener. Until Jesus calls her by name Mary, which is one more reference to the Garden of Eden story because at the end of the story, when Adam and his wife are kicked out of the garden, that's when Adam, just as he named everything else, he names his wife and he calls her Eve, which means life. Jesus calls her by name. He calls her Mary. Her eyes are open. She recognizes him and she says, Teacher, Rabuni. Why does John make all these references to Genesis? Like, what is he trying to say? Let's zoom out on this, on this um, screen and just get all of them up there. I know you can't read all that. Why all these references? Why all the parallels from in the beginning to a garden tomb to a woman and a man who might be the gardener? What is John trying to say? If Genesis tells us the story of creation and how everything fell apart... The gospel is telling us the story of new creation and how everything gets put back together. The resurrection is the story of new creation. When we hear the word resurrection, we typically think of Jesus, right? Because, like, that's the big one, Jesus being raised from the dead. That's what we're celebrating here on Resurrection Sunday. That's why there was breakfast, right? That's, that's what today is about. But the resurrection of Jesus is just the beginning, It's the start of a whole new creation God is bringing into the world through Christ. The good news, what we call the gospel, is that God is putting the world back together. Through Jesus, God is at work healing all that is broken in our lives, in our souls, our psyches, in our bodies, in our communities, in our families, in the earth. God's coming to redeem all of it. God is making all things new. God is making a new creation in Christ, 
and we are invited to participate. We're invited to receive healing and wholeness and restoration in all the places we experience brokenness and pain. The resurrection of Jesus wasn't some magic trick. It's not like poof, he's back, right? God's not showing off. It's not a doctrine you have to believe in to go to heaven. That's not the point of this. The resurrection of Jesus is the start of a new creation, and for us, for followers of Jesus, it is an invitation into a new way of life, a new way of being in the world. We're invited into fellowship with God. Through Christ, that break, that fundamental break between God and humanity has been overcome. God isn't angry. God isn't looking to punish us to dole out a beating. God isn't looking to banish us, to kick us out and tell us we don't belong. Jesus reveals God as our loving Father, our loving parent who forgives us, who wants a relationship with us, who invites us back home, who tells us not to be afraid. And the work of new creation doesn't stop with us and God. This isn't just like a personal salvation story about being holy and how righteous we can be. No, as Christians, we are invited to partner with God to bring hope and healing to the world, to put this new creation into action. We're called to be agents of reconciliation in our families, in our communities, wherever there's brokenness, wherever there is unrest, chaos, broken relationships, we are invited to enter into those spaces and bring healing We're called to love our enemies, to love them so much we would die for them, because that's what Jesus did. Not to return evil with evil, but to answer evil with good, putting others ahead of ourselves and laying down our lives. That's new creation. We're invited to find inner healing, peace, to turn away from shame and guilt, that feeling of isolation and brokenness, The resurrection invites us all to live in the confidence that we belong. We are invited. We are loved. And we're called to be agents of new creation everywhere we go. Whether it looks like caring for the earth, the environment, promoting peace and nonviolence, reconciliation, um, it could be fighting to end poverty and injustice, standing with the least of these, those at the margins. That's what the new creation is all about. That's the story the resurrection of Jesus kicks off and makes possible. Through Christ, we are invited to reconnect with God, ourselves, other people, and the earth to find healing and hope. That's the good news. Amen? Amen. The curse has been lifted. The fall has been reversed. A new creation is underway because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. God, thank you for the good news of resurrection. Thank you for raising Jesus from the dead. Not just as a miracle or an act of power, but as the start of something new. Help us to live in your new creation, Lord. Help us to receive your healing touch in our hearts and our lives, to embody that healing in the world wherever we go, and to be agents of new creation in our families, 
our communities, our workplaces and schools, everywhere you've called us to go, Lord. It's in the name of the risen Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.